Hello, welcome to another edition of the Hoop School Podcast. My name is Nate with my pod pal, Phil. Greetings. A lot going on in the world of NBA hoops. We got our second matchups all about to get underway. All the play games except Jazz Clippers, which will start tonight. And we'll talk a little bit about some of our fallen soldiers who've gone down the first round that we didn't get to cover after we talked about the first round, first games. I don't think we've talked since after the game ones, which... It's been a minute, but we'll cover all the bases. It's been, yeah, it's been a minute. And make sure that we're all squared away to go so you guys are ready, have all the knowledge needed for these second-round matchups. So let's start, Phil. So don't want to go through all eight teams that are eliminated in the first round, but maybe just pick a few squads. Some more that interesting were, than others. Yeah, the ones of intrigue. I'll let you start with a Western Conference team or Western Conference teams that you think have maybe a lot of question marks going into the offseason after their first-round ouster. Maybe there's something that was seen in their first-round loss that is noteworthy. Wherever you choose to go with it. West Coast teams, what do you have? That loss. Obviously, obviously out of the four available, uh, the Lakers and the Trailblazers are probably the most interesting to decide where do they go next. Obviously, this year was, even though the Lakers have everybody under contract again and the Blazers could easily, you know, match the salary and keep it go run it back another year this is kind of like a this was a do or die year so it'll be interesting to see going forward i'm going to pick the lakers and just think about what's going to happen in the future i think they're probably better off than people expect them to be obviously it's going to be a decent shakeup next or this off season because i think trez comes off the books and dennis schroeder is probably gone so what are they going to do to recoup that but if they can find something that's you know decent to recoup complete, not completely, but pieces of Dennis Schroeder's game or his element to the team, I think they'll be all right for a decent championship run as long as everyone's healthy next year, which is the only problem I have with them this year. Yeah, so in terms of the contract stuff, so Schroeder, I believe, is unrestricted. Trez has a player option worth close to $10 million. Monetarily, I don't know if he's getting much of a better deal, but I also don't think he was very happy with the Lakers for much of the year. So I would not be surprised if he just kind of cut bait with this franchise because it it was rocky for a lot of the year, and then it ended him ended with him barely being in the rotation. So, I think Trez will probably decline that and go somewhere else because realistically, he could probably get an eight year, eight million year deal somewhere else, and that's multi year, so it'd be more than just his ten. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right, but it definitely wasn't a good year in terms of his stock either. So yeah, yeah. it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Uh, I, I probably agree with you where this isn't panic mode. I mean, we kind of – and I, I go back to the, what happened with the Sixers last year, and we'll talk about the Sixers and their game one loss later, but how everybody seemed to pull the five-alarm fire along last year when they lost in the first round to the Celtics. Meanwhile, they're playing without their second-best player, Ben Simmons. I mean, listen, the Lakers, there's definitely questions to be had. I think that – listen, LeBron's age is real. I don't think he played a particularly good first-round series. I mean, he wasn't bad, but in terms of just the sheer production, I think this was his – I remember looking it up. I think this was his second or third lowest-scoring average playoff series in his career. I think he averaged points per game. And it just never seemed like he turned on that dominant LeBron mode that we've seen in the past, even in that game six. It just was a little bit more of a struggle, and that happens – I mean, he, I guess he's still yeah, dealing with ankle injury. More, do you think it's more trivial to oh, – you were getting to it, but the injury or the age? I think it seems to be more injury. I mean, but 
like I could I you could say it's the injury, but like I I, I don't know. It, it to me it did look like he was hobbled out there per se. Sure, like the recovery probably took a little bit of a toll. But, I mean, we've seen LeBron lose some of his balance over the last few years. And this is coming from somebody that before the season said he was the best player in the league and I thought the Lakers were going to win the title. But I'm not, I'm not one to, you know, speculate about injuries. If you're out there and it looks like – like, there's a difference between, obviously, the injury that AD had where he couldn't move and the injury that LeBron had. I obviously, obviously, the sprained ankle is a big deal, but – he was good enough to play that tail end of the regular season. He was good enough to play in the playoffs for heavy minutes. He, he could still dunk. It's, it, it didn't look like he was limping. It might have been a little sore, but to me, I attributed a little bit more to the age. I, I do think that he's losing a little bit of his spring, which is okay, but it's going to put more of the onus on AD to stay healthy, which is always going to be the question mark. Can he stay healthy for the duration of the season? And are they going to be able to get other guys to step up because they – thought Schroeder was going to be that spark plug guard that can get some buckets for them and didn't happen. We've been waiting for Kuzma to step, off, step up offensively for the last two or three seasons. Hasn't happened. So there's question marks, but I still have faith in LeBron and AD as a duo. I think the next season they're going to be close to contenders still. It's just going to have to be a field out type of thing where are they healthy enough come playoff time and is AD – can AD offset what I think might be slight aging evidence that we're seeing from LeBron still like a high end elite player, but I do, I I'm starting to see the tread marks a little bit. That's yeah. my take. And, no, you're right. You see the tread marks, but I think they're, I wouldn't say minimal, but they're very slight at the moment. We saw it over the course of this entire season where he kind of dropped off. And I think his field goal percentage at the rim was, second lowest in his career, or maybe it was third lowest. Anyway, you're starting to see that kind of stuff where he can't get up like he used to. He has to kind of stay stay in the air as opposed to just getting up and over people. But this, the playoffs are, I think, were a different case because the injury definitely hindered what he was able to do in terms of just like comfort comfortability on the court. That's mm-hmm. at least what I saw. And so I thought once he has a full <clears throat> you know, offseason to kind of rehab and retool that, Realistically, it's plenty of time. He'll probably be back to the same level he was during the regular season. And if he doesn't get hurt again, I think you could carry that for maybe maybe the entire season next year, too. Yeah. And uh, just so to I'd, clarify, yeah. this was his third lowest playoff series scoring average. And, uh, I mean, one of them was the, the Mavericks series, and the other one came in his second year in the league in the NBA Finals. So, you know, we, like, we haven't seen LeBron kind of – it's it's the lead. So obviously the injury is probably a factor, but the facts are what they are. And listen, the LeBron the LeBron lovers, and I I usually find myself kind of in the middle because I respect LeBron a lot. I think he's you know top two player of all time. But there's some people that just think he can do no wrong, and they were they were saying that. As long as he's playing, they'll beat the Suns, and it didn't happen. So you can't play both sides. You can't say, oh, he he's going to do this, and then when he doesn't, blame the injury or whatever. So that's yeah. my that's my gripe with it. You know, I, I didn't have high hopes for the Lakers coming in. I thought they were going to – if they were healthy, they were going to be very good, but that was the big question mark. I thought it was the same thing with the Nets. And, yeah, well, I mean, we'll get to that point. At some, we'll get to that conjecture of Nets at some point. But, yeah, it's – the two big guys is interesting. It came down to health. And 
I wonder how much of it will eke out later on that they're complaining to the league because of that forced or not forced, but rushed off season. Cause you know, that's where they're going to go to when you hear all this stuff where it's like AD had this, this, and this going on as opposed to just like a groin thing. And LeBron had something going on as a, as well as his ankle thing or his ankle wasn't fully healed. You know, you know, the narrative and stuff. Yeah. 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 Maybe. Yeah. Is what it is. Let's, uh, yeah. Who's your East? I think we got to talk about our Knicks. Because we, we haven't right. we haven't we haven't really done the Knicks eulogy after the whole season. I think it's worth That's deflecting. Fair. You know, it's been a little bit, I know. A lot of people have moved on, but just kind of reflecting on the season, it was still a great season, but about as disappointing of a playoff series as you can get. <laughs> Is that really doesn't say? give you any answers. Yeah, so we'll take we'll take it bit by bit, and then I think we'll talk about the, the biggest question, which is the Julius Randle question. But Listen, I came I came into the series saying the Knicks would win seven, and that was my prediction. I'm you know there's probably a little bit of heart involved, but at the same time I did say the Hawks were the more talented team, but I thought that the Knicks would win the matchup battle and they'd uh, they'd make it kind of a slugfest and win defensively and slow the game down, minimize Trey Young, which did not happen at all, and Trey Young walked all over them and Julius Randle was a non-factor, pretty much a negative, honestly. I think on both ends, which was – that's honestly well, – he's always a negative on one end. Let's but for a lot that of out se- of here. But for a lot of the season, Phil, I do think that he found a way to, to help defensively, I, whether it be – I looked at it as he was able to <clears throat> come up neutral on defense. That's fair. That's fair. But regardless, it never felt like he was hurting us. But I, I heard someone say this. I forget who on a, a different podcast. He said – Regular season is about your strengths. Playoffs are about your weaknesses. And I think that's never more true with what, than what we saw with the Knicks because all these players that were the cult heroes for us, it was kind of put on display in the playoffs what they can't do, whether that be Reggie Bullock and not being able to take advantage of any Trey Young mismatches, whether it be Neurons Noel being a – I mean, he was also a little hurt, I got to say that, but complete zero offensively and really just hurting our spacing. Um, RJ Barrett's super young, so I'm not going to – get mad at him because I still think he had a good, very good year and the series was okay, not disastrous, but he's another guy that I think maybe the number two scoring role was a little bit above his pay grade for this particular place, uh, playoff series. And then Julius Randle just not being the go-to scorer that we need him to be. That's just the the fact of the matter, not making shots, not affecting the game defensively. Uh, quite honestly, I don't think being the leader we needed, you know, with some of the antics that he was pulling it just didn't. It, it's just not a good series for him. Not a good series for the team, and leaves us with a lot of question marks coming to this, the offseason. Because although we overachieved, um, once we got a taste of it, I think that this Knicks team kind of realizes like the days of tanking are over. The days of, of drafting, especially with tips on on board, the days of drafting the top ten are over. So we gotta just try to get you're with the best team. You got what you got now. Yeah, this is what you got, and you got you got to build. You're not gonna be getting blue chip young talent, uh, you know, get good free agents, but you got to see who on this core should be sticking around and at what number also. Yeah. Um, it, it was interesting the whole way. I don't know if we talked about this on the pod, but my, my idea of the Knicks Hawks series was <clears throat> it was going to come down to, I think it was going to be close the whole time in the game. And then when it came down to the last five minutes of the fourth quarter, it depended on solely what Trey Young did. And we kind of saw that mostly in every other game besides the second game where the Knicks won. 
Trey Young just tried to take over and did the same thing he was doing the entire game <clears throat> that no one was stopping him for. In the second game, we saw Trey Young was trying to get people involved. The last five minutes, I noticed he was just trying to get the ball moving, get it out of his hands quick, and see if anyone else can make a play. And it just didn't happen. That offense that kept them in the game before just it disappeared, and the Knicks were able to come away with the win. So it was just kind of an interesting series to see just the Knicks as a hard-fought team as opposed to just a way more talented squad in terms of just number one guy or basically down the line. But yeah, so going into the Knicks offseason, it's it's kind of – I think it's kind of murky. What do you think? It is murky. I I want to I want to put the best possible team together that makes sense. You know, that's, that's where I stand. I don't want to just throw a bunch of talented players – at the wall and see what sticks. But I do want to, I'm, I'm completely cool with getting veterans that help our team and help our young players develop. You know, I, I, I came out of the series and despite the Julius Randle problems, despite the inability to stop Trey young, despite the inconsistent shootings, I think that our, our shooting numbers were a little bit fluky because of the way we play, you know, we don't have the true shooters that Atlanta has, but yeah. I still think the biggest hole on this team is point guard. This team needs a high-level point guard, and unless you have one of those elite superstars that control the pace of the game, like LeBron, Durant, Kawhi, whatever you want to call Luka, like those kind of players, Jokic, obviously, that, you know, control your offense without being a quote-unquote point guard, although I guess Luka is or whatever you – positions don't matter. But the bottom line is we need a player that can, can, you know, orchestrate our offense because – Derrick Rose was very good for us, but at the end of the day, he's a microwave scorer off the bench. That's his best role. I mean, Julius Randle is not that caliber player. R.J. Barrett, that's too much to ask of him. It's just hard to generate good looks consistently in the playoffs without a point guard. So we need to address that. That has to be the top of the line, top priority. I've been very high on Kyle Kyle Lowry. I'd love to give him a short-term deal. I think he'd do wonders for our young guys. I think he'd help us win games in the short term. I think he's a, a good guy in the locker room. That would be a guy that I would focus on. So that's my take. We need a point guard. And I, I really think it would do wonders for our team. What, you know, just short term and long term help the growth of the Knicks. Yeah, I mean, you've you've heard my, my little ramble before, but I am kind of concerned about the whole Knicks system. Because basically, no one's ever done this type of rebuild before where you just have a young core, a completely separate young core, and then a completely separate group of vets that you bring in almost every year on a buy-in or rent basis, and you just kind of throw them together and hope it sticks. We saw what happened last year where there was Bobby Portis, Alfred Payton, and there was a litany of other guys, Luke Morris, and I'm forgetting some names. Anyway, but you know that they were just going for theirs, and they wanted to get their next contract. Because realistically, they were back on the market in a year, and they had one year to improve what they just got last year. And then you see the, the complete opposite this year where you get Alec Burks, Derek Rose, and Nerlens Noel, and you see just a mesh where they actually work together and they're cohesive. And you see the difference on the court. And the yeah. problem is the money that they just made, the three of them, Alec Burks, Derek Rose, Nerlens Noel, we don't, we're going to have to realistically probably use most of our cap just to keep the guys that we just had. And do we want to do that? Or do we want to go back into the pool and just like rerun it again with some new vets and hope that it all sticks like it did the second year? Yeah, it's a good point. It's definitely a unique situation. And I think it's also, it's also unique because like this Nick Cole, this Nick's young core is not, it's it's not like a blue chip young core, you know, it's right. not like we have like stars up and coming. Listen, I, I love RJ Bear as much as the next guy. Um, I'm not, I'm not positive. He's like a, a future star. I think, I think he's very good. And, you know, I, 
I want him on the team, and I think he's a building block. But, like, it's not like, you know, we have a Shea Gilgis-Alexander, De'Aaron Fox, or, you know, like a, a bona fide star young player. So we're still trying to figure out exactly, like, what we have. I mean, right now we know we like RJ. Seems like we like Mitch, although I mean, this season kind of have to wrench that a little bit. We like quickly for the value. Outside of that, it's a lot of question marks. So that's one part of the equation. And uh, you're right where you're kind of getting guys on short-term deals. You're not exactly sure what their motive is. So I think for this type of rebuild, it's very important to evaluate character and see kind of what players you bring in, not just from a basketball standpoint, but what they're looking for in their career. You know, like the players you just listed from last year, Bobby Portis, Marcus Morris, Albert Payne, who was obviously on the team this year. Those are guys that probably didn't see the Knicks as like an opportunity to build something and probably more so looked at it as like a chance to further their own career. So that's why I like a guy, especially like Lowry, who has already established so much in his career. He doesn't really have anything to prove. And he's coming here kind of like a, a Chris Paul light situation with the Suns. And he's looking at this young group and he's looking at these players that are up and coming and saying, all right, like I, I can kind of re- accelerate the process here and be a part of something special because – it, it is it is New York City at the end of the day. I think that's something that makes this a little bit different is that even though it hasn't worked in the past and I'm not somebody who likes to just hope on free agents, it's not a winning strategy, but the realistic the, – the thing is like every Knicks fan and the front office knows that at some point or other we're probably going to need a superstar to want to come here, and that's just the fact. So <laughs> regardless of – you know, what we're doing now, we know that's kind of what we need to do to get over the hump because we're not going to be drafted super high to get that pick. And I don't see that superstar on the roster right now. So we're kind of just building and trying to form a good culture, a winning product like the Nets did and get some superstars to come in a few years. I'm not sure who those guys will be, but I mean, I, I think that's just the elephant in the room that we have to admit. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah, no, obviously that's <clears throat> the direction everyone wants to face because nowadays you'd rather just pick up a guy and seamlessly put him into the roster as opposed to drafting someone and waiting it's for just him to hard. hit if he does. It's just yeah. hard otherwise. Like, it's just not – there's just no guarantee, and then you got to wait for that guy to develop. It's just – so – and it's, if, especially being the Knicks, like, that just is the most logical route. So you just have to put yourself in position to get there to attract those kind of players. That's just how I view it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm getting – I've got my, my negative bias on it. I'm a little worried because of all the money that they're going to want to – realistically, they're probably going to try try to sign back two of the three Derrick Rose, Alec Burks, and Ernst Noel. And seeing what kind of money that brings them back, whether it's a one- or two-year deal, I'm looking in the – definitely above 15 to 16 mil for both. And that takes a big chunk away from the sat, like the cap you have left. Yeah. And then – what do you want to do? Do you want to sign Duncan Robinson? Do you want to do you want to go after Monzo? Do you want to go after Kyle Lowry? How does that look? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll so, definitely be interesting to see how they handle their finances. I mean, yeah, listen, yeah. we're we're talking all this, and obviously it's coming off the back of a disappointing playoff loss. But at the end of the day, I still think the Knicks are in a very good situation. A lot of flexibility. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm I'm not gonna turn my back on Randall despite that series. Obviously, he's got a lot of work to do, but. It wasn't a great situation around him either. You know, the, the spacing wasn't ideal. The other options weren't ideal. So I'm not going to, you know, still think it was a very good season. Just But the playoff series, it was it's almost a blessing in disguise, I think, because it kind of – it gave us a dose of reality and let us know, like, 
this is the next level. And the Hawks aren't even a contender. But I think it's clear the Hawks are a tier above us. Like, they are – looking back, we're probably closer to, you know, like, the bottom of the Eastern The dinged-up Celtics playoffs. or the Hornets. Yeah, like, honestly, like, talent-wise. You know, like, we're probably yeah. closer to, like, the Pacers tier – like, that tier of play- of teams than, you know, Hawks, Miami – probably like a healthy Boston team even. So that's that's just the reality, and that's fine. Like, we're still in a good spot, got all our picks. Just have to be smart about it moving forward. Yeah. All right. Well, do you want to transition over to uh, to game day matchups? Yeah. Let's well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about what we're looking at with every series uh, quickly, kind of our takeaways, what we're looking for. And, uh, yeah. All let's right. Start, do you want to start off with the new guys? Well, let's start. Haven't the- played a game yet? Sure, sure, we can do that. Let's go. Uh, so <laughs> you had a different way you wanted to go. Eh, no, that's fine. I was just gonna go east west. Right. We could do that. All right, all right, okay, all right. Reverse alphabet. <clears throat> all right, so let's start with Jazz Clippers. Obviously, Clippers are coming off of a basically they won the four out of their last five, and they just went berserk, and everyone was hitting their shots. And the last game, Game Seven, was a great thing to watch. Um, Luke Morris came alive. He was found again, and uh, yeah, the. Rondo was even contributing, and, and Trey Mann was a big, big piece of it, actually. So do you think there's going to be a clear third man going through in this Jazz series for the Clippers? Sorry, what did you just say? A uh, clear what? A clear third man. We saw Trey Mann. We saw Mook uh-uh, Morris. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for the Clippers, I don't think you're going to want to, like, run your offense through a third guy. I mean, Ty Lue and, you know, He's got a lot of issues, but I think he's been pretty good with his rotations, pretty good with his lineup adjustments. He's always going to have either Kawhi or Paul George on the floor out there. So I don't think it's going to be as much about the third guy like making plays as is about the third guys just making shots. Because at the core yeah, of this, that was, yeah. at the that core of this Clippers, yeah, someone not yeah. handling it. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the core of this Clippers team, they're a three-point shooting team. They set all kinds of records. Six guys shooting forty percent. You know, if you if you watch ESPN, you've you've heard it. They they do it every every time they play. So. That's how that's how they're gonna play, and you know Marcus Morris is probably the biggest barometer of where this team is gonna if this team is gonna win this series or not. I mean, he was giant in that game seven, made seven threes, and he gets good looks. And you know he's got that high release. He's six eight, six nine. You know he's gonna get his shots up. A big part of how they play is you know those swing passes, those driving kicks, because Paul George. And- Kawhi Leonard have been doing a good job of getting to the team of the defense and making the plays. I mean, Paul George, even though he didn't shoot the ball great last game, I thought he was really nice passing the ball. I believe he had 10 assists. And they know that the route to them winning as many series as they can is getting good looks from three and hitting them. That's how they've won all year. That's why they are the four seed. That's how they ended up being Dallas. So I'm looking at Marcus Morris mainly. They're going to need everybody to hit some shots. Luke Kennard got some time in the last series yeah, quick, uh, in game uh, seven. Yeah, what you, like seven, seven or 11? I think he had 11 points in 10 minutes. So, I mean, you're not going to expect that precisely, but he's another guy that if you bring off the bench and he makes shots, it's going to be huge because you know the Jazz, they kind of play similar ways, but the the Gobert factor is going to be – is the big difference because – Clippers really found their stride playing that small ball lineup. They were, they started it and it really took up the majority of their minutes. They they give Zubats a little bit of run. I'm very curious to see what their lineups look against look like against Gobert. If they go small ball and just say and just force Gobert to 
play out there because we know he's not super comfortable. Or if they get Zubat some more minutes and try to neutralize Gobert maybe on the boards and whatnot. But that's going to be very interesting. Uh, I think if Gobert can survive on the perimeter, then Utah probably wins. But I got my money on the Clippers kind of neutralizing Gobert because of that small ball out that, that they've been running. Do you think Gobert is going to – by neutralize, do you mean he's going to be on the floor or do you think they're going to just play him off at, a, at times? Or he's at the end of the fourth game? At the end of he's games, gonna, will he be on the court? Uh, Yeah, I still think he's going to play a lot because he's so important to their pick-and-roll game. But defensively, I just don't see him being the factor that he is before because he's he's going to have to be on the perimeter. I mean, the, the Clippers play five out. They, they, they don't really they, – they set ball screens, but they're not like a pick-and-roll team. They're more so a, a drive-and-kick team. They like getting mismatches. They like driving you. So – the the Jazz are probably going to try to high Gobert on – I mean, they might have him, hide him on Morris even. I don't know if you want to call that hiding, but Morris is much of a driver. So it's going to be up to – can the Jazz individually defend enough without Gobert being on that back line is going to be interesting. Because, you know, yeah. Kawhi, Kawhi and Paul George are going to be hunting mismatches. And although Utah, they've been a pretty solid defensive team, kind of like with the Knicks, although they're a much better team with the Knicks – like, you don't look at them and say they have a ton of really talented individual defenders. So, I mean, you're probably going to throw Royce O'Neal at Kawhi, but I don't love that matchup. He's a little undersized for that. And if you if you have Gobert helping in, then you're going to have the kickouts open all day. I'm just interested to see how Utah approaches that defensively. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. You got you any, any other takes? Any takes about the no. series? I kind of talked about in the beginning, I thought. Um, it'll be I'm interesting not... to see Gobert, obviously. Yeah, I think this, I think this could be. I mean, based on what's happening in the Nets Bucks, and we'll talk that, about that in a little bit. I think it's gonna be a great series, though. I I think that yeah, these two, I I probably think these are the two best teams left in the West. You know, Utah was pretty impressive last series against Memphis. And they can shoot the lights out themselves, so it's it's gonna be a lot of offense. It's gonna be a lot of shooting. It's gonna be a lot of mismatch hunting, and Gobert's gonna be the X factor. See exactly how impactful he can be because these are the these are the series that he struggled with in the past. If he can survive this series and still be a factor, then I think it's going to pro- show us a lot about how good he is. But if he gets exposed defensively and isn't the factor that he's been in the regular season, then it's going to bring out all the memes about how he's overpaid and all that stuff. So, yeah, we're going to see. Uh, we're going to see whether Donovan Mitchell's fully back to health. Seems like he's really back and ready to go, but you never know. Just from three games, you know, or yeah. four games, or whatever they played against the Grizzlies. So. And Utah, yeah, we'll and see, just, yeah. just just one more thing on – because Utah is that they're – they don't like being an ISO team, but the one guy that can go get a bucket, you know, himself is mostly Donovan Mitchell. So – and the Clippers love switching. They're – you know, they switch everything, and they're going to switch those Gobert screens. Like, are they going to be able to get some, some – maybe some quick seal-offs on those, get Gobert undersized opponents? We'll see. I mean, that, I would be impressed if Gobert is able to swing that. It's never really been his M.O., but – if the Clippers can turn this into a one-on-one game where Donovan Mitchell's doing one of his inefficient, you know, 13 for 32 games, which we've seen in the past. Listen, I love Donovan Mitchell, but we've seen that before. If Utah's offense stagnates, Donovan can feel like it's a lot on his shoulders and it turns into a one-on-one type of game, which is not the Jazz style at all. Then the Clippers are in good shape. So, yeah. All right. That's what I'm looking for. Do you want for. to flip over, flip-flop over? To the West? To the other Westers? To the other West. Suns Nuggets saw the last game, or yeah, saw the game yesterday. Nuggets Suns looked pretty good. Nuggets were 
kind of on top of it the first half, and then they just let it go. Yeah, so with this game, my major takeaway is Phoenix is a really good defensive team. That is just – I think we got to say that, that – I mean, they, they flummoxed the Lakers, who have their struggles at times, but, you know, it, it never looks smooth when the Lakers are playing the Suns. And, again, the Suns really put their imprint defensively on this game. They're pretty much saying where they're, they're not doubling Jokic. They're going to turn him into a one-on-one post-defense, uh, post-offensive player, and they're fighting him like hell in the t- trenches to front him from getting the ball. They're, he's not getting as many touches as he should. And some of that may be on Denver's inability to get the entry pass. But if you just watch Jokic on a given possession, even before he gets the ball, it's a battle every time for him to even get a touch. So that stuck out to me. Uh, three assists and four turnovers for Jokic. That's a, that's a big number because they're not going to let Jokic dice them apart with his passing. And if they double, they're doubling at the end of the shot clock. They're doubling with his back turned. You know, they're not just going to bring a soft double like Portland was bringing and just letting him pretty much read the whole entire floor with one hand and just deliver bullet passes. So Phoenix took care of this game defensively. Uh, six free throw attempts for the Nuggets and 20 for the Suns is also a huge deal. And we'll see if that happens again. Uh, Suns did a pretty good job of not fouling Jokic. He, he didn't get a single free throw attempt, which is also huge. You know, last series, he was fouling Nurkic out with like 10 minutes into the game. And so, uh, you know, Aiton was able to play 36 minutes, score 20 points, battle Jokic. When Crowder got switched on him, he was battling him. Um, and the Nuggets lineups when Jokic comes out, it's just it's just a struggle to score. You know, I mean, Monty Morris was anemic there. He's minus 28 in 23 minutes. That's not going to work. So just manufacturing offense when Jokic is in the game is going to be tough. Suns outplayed him, but obviously a long series. So, yeah, I think there's two things. <clears throat> it seemed from the last game that basically Jokic didn't get the ball as much as in the spots he wanted to as much as he wanted to. They kind of just, whenever Faku brought the ball up, they just gave him space and said, you you, you run the offense. We want to see what you do. And then on top of that, that <clears throat> hurt the Nuggets offense, obviously. And then what you touched on with the defense of the Suns, I want to flip to the offense with the, the you know, third man hybrid morph that is Jay Crowder, Miko Bridges, Cam Johnson, whoever's hot. They've just consistently had someone that can really get it going and carry mm-hmm. the team. I think Miko Bridges, what, he had like 25 last night? 23. 23 still you get those they always have the guaranteed offense out of nowhere type guys or situations which is just what you need in the playoffs every single game so just from that I kind of like the Suns more than the Jazz what you were saying before the Jazz or Jazz and Clips are number two and one and two I I don't know we'll see if it ever gets to that point but I think the Suns are surprisingly very decent and obviously very deep but I mean maybe people just didn't appreciate it before yeah no you made a good point that the Suns probably, and this is very valuable, they have probably the most consistent role players left out of any team. Yeah. So that is that is huge. McCall Bridges, sometimes Cam Johnson, he didn't score last night. Actually, he had two free throws, but no field goals for him last night. But they always have a few guys stepping up, and that's huge. You need that. You know, uh, Chris Paul took care of the game in crunch time. Like, this is just a classic Suns game. Uh, but, yeah, you, you definitely hit it the nail on the head. Like, the Suns, they got shot making out of their their role players. Uh, Nuggets didn't, and that's definitely one difference in the game. So that's kind of that's been the Suns' mo. Like they they have a solid you know nine guys who can contribute. Even Torrey Craig made a couple threes, which I'm not sure you're banking on that, but 
they got they got a lot of quality players who can fill in the gaps and just a lot of a lot of solid players on the Suns. And then you throw in the Chris Paul and Devin Booker element. It's a pretty it's a pretty damn good team. So it's gonna it's yeah. gonna be a good series. I think I think it's gonna go, you know, probably at least six because I still do think that the Nuggets will figure something out. And I, I just I trust Jokic to make adjustments, you know, see what happened this past game. But I, I would pick the Suns to win the series, and yeah. they're playing well. They're playing good basketball. Yeah, the Suns are my pick, probably six or seven. I'll go seven just for a little disparity. Fair. All right, Phil, we want to go to the Eastern Conference. Let's uh, we'll go. We'll let's go start with what's do we want to do? We want to start Hawk Sixers, and then we'll talk about yeah, sure. the disappointment of whatever's going on in Brooklyn right now because that's just I don't even know <laughs> what, what but, barely uh, even needs to be talked about. Yeah, let's talk um, Hawks Sixers. So they played their game one a couple days ago, and Hawks won. Hawks won by four points. It was a bigger margin for most of the game, and they kind of did some strange things at the end. Last and almost, four minutes, basically. Yeah, <laughs> the Sixers are just fighting and clawing. But Hawks win and make a ton of threes. Make a ton of threes. I don't know if that's going to happen again. They shot – 47 of their 86 shots were threes, made 20 of them. That's huge. I mean, Bogdanovich hit five threes. John Collins was three for four. Herter hit three threes. So they outscore the Sixers by 30 points in the three-point line. That's that's usually a good formula. But defensively, the Sixers struggled. This defensively, it wasn't just the shot-making, although that was a huge factor, and I don't think the Hawks are going to shoot like that again. But, I mean – Trey Young, this looked a lot like the Knicks series, what he was doing, especially in the first half. He made a few adjustments in the second half. But 35 points, 10 assists, and it looked easy for much of the game. He's killing them off pick and rolls. Danny Green can't stay in front of them. And it seems like they're a little hesitant to put Ben Simmons on because of the foul element. I mean, Doc Rivers was actually asked about this, I think, yesterday. And he said Trey Young is very good at drawing fouls, so we're going to put Ben on him a little bit, but not too much. I don't know. This – I just – it's kind of – I just hear so much about this Ben Simmons. I, I mean, I, I, when I watch Ben Simmons, I think he's a very good defender. I'm a little hesitant to go like this shutdown route that some people have gone throughout the year. But, like, if you're afraid that Trey Young is going to foul him out of the game, I mean, how valuable really is he? Because you need him in this, in this series to stop the other team's best player who is really their only truly lethal ball handler. I mean, they have some other – good ball handlers. Bogdanovich can run the offense a little bit. Lou Williams is an okay guy off the bench, but like not like he's really scaring you. If you take Trey Young out of this game, you're really going to put yourself in a position to win. But if you don't want to do that, then I don't know. How viable is Ben Simmons out there? But that's just my cynical view, I guess. What Do you what, do you have any takeaways from this series? I, by the yeah. way, I still think the Sixers are going to win. I'm not too worried, but like I don't know. That stuff just, it kind of confuses me. <laughs> Like, what are you saving them? Yeah, no, the biggest takeaway from the first game was I think Doc Rivers, we have to see how Doc Rivers evolves throughout this this series. Obviously, I think it's probably going to go six games because the Hawks maybe will be able to steal one again in Atlanta. Um, I have the Sixers winning, but we have to see how what Doc Rivers does with a player like Trey Young. Does he eventually just stick Ben Simmons on him? Does he just continue to be like, I don't want to risk it with the fouls? A, a point you were making before, <clears throat> it's true. You want to see Ben Simmons theoretically the best defender in the league on one of the best offensive players in the league. 
but it just doesn't, Doc Rivers might not let it happen. He also has to figure out something with off, went on, they're on offense because Trey is just hanging out. Like he just watches Green sit in the corner and wait for a shot that doesn't come. And he does the same thing with Matisse Thibel, except he doesn't even need to guard Matisse Thibel in the three. So you yeah. have to figure out a way, a lineup, especially with the Sixers' talent. They should be able to run a lineup that should keep Trey Young like moving on defense and actually tire him out for when he has to run offensive sets. If you ran, what is it? Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Joel, Tobias, and who, who even? Who else even? Who would be the? Who would be that fifth man? I mean, they don't have a. T- it's it's not like they're loaded with offensive talent. I mean, no, Maxi made some. Maxi made some things happen, which was nice to see. You just but, need someone and, to move off the ball. Obviously, that's not Danny Green does that, but he's not going to do it all the time. As opposed to Seth Curry, where you need to stay on his hip. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, offensively, I think Philly was okay. You're right; like they're not in a great position to expose Trey. I mean, they they probably could put better lines together. Oh, Shake Milton. Like, he would be the fifth guy. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what happened to Shake. I think he got hurt. Honestly, I missed the very start hurt? of the game. He only played one minute this game. I'm not exactly mm. sure what I'll happened to it. Gonna, you keep, yeah. you say what you were saying. I'll look into it. So, um, anyway, but. Yeah, I mean, Doc should probably cut it out with the all bench lineups because he he runs a few of those and they're they're just horrible to look at. But up until I think the Sixers were okay. I mean, MB this is a, cl- a classic MB game coming off the injury. He didn't look affected. Yeah, we have to by much to, to me. Give him some credit. Yeah, thirty nine points, nine rebounds. He took fifteen free throws. That's usually the limit test. I mean, MB is probably the best guy drawing fouls in the league just because people can't handle him. So. I think the Sixers would be all right. I mean, like, they have the offensive talents to overwhelm this the Hawks. They weren't great from three. They missed a lot of open looks. They, there, was a, there was a run, I think it was a third quarter, where, you know, they started playing better defense on Trey. They started blitzing a little bit, giving them different looks. Matisse Thibel did better on him. I mean, Trey only scored 10 points in the second half, so that was definitely a big difference. But anyway, they were there was a run going, and the Sixers were playing good defense, and they probably missed four or five wide-open threes that could have been – big momentum swingers, and they just didn't go down. I mean, they yeah. were 10 for 29 from three. Hawks were 20 for 47. And while there's some shot quality disparity, uh, I don't think it's that big of a difference. So I expect that to balance out. The Ben Simmons free throws are just horrifying. Three for 10. It's I, I think it's going to end up hurting them in some regard if he doesn't figure that out a little bit. I mean, the guy's playing 37 minutes, and if when he gets to the line, it's – you're, you're praying for one out of two. It's going to, it's going to be hard to sustain given the fact that he's at his best when he's going downhill. And he did make some nice moves in transition. You know, those, those quick, quick juke, weird kind of just dive in layups and he drew a lot of fouls, but you got to hit some of those foul shots. So that remains a problem. But overall, I'm not too worried about the series. I still think the Sixers could take care of business and Obviously, we got game two tonight. I'd expect the Sixers to win, but if they don't, we got some more to talk about. Yeah. All right. Should we pivot over to Nets? There's not much to say. It's the just Nets sad. Just look, it's just sadness. It's just the Nets sadness. Look like the Nets look like Uma Thurman from Kill Bill. They're just going across, crossing off every single Eastern Conference team that people thought would actually give them a fight. From Celtics yeah. to Bucks, now Sixers eventually, inevitably. This is just different. We we got to talk and listen. The Nets are doing all this about James Harden. It's it's incredible, but we we got to talk about the Bucks right now because as good as the Nets have been, 
this has been a completely disheartening performance from the Bucks, especially last night. So game one, a lot of people just talk, chalk it up to bad shooting. They're like four for 23 or something from three. Terrible. Last night, still not good shooting, but just bad everything, honestly. Chris Middleton still not making the shots he's made during the season. Giannis Antetokounmpo is getting neutralized by Blake Griffin. Even last Drew season, Hall- I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, you're good. And the the bench isn't great. I think they're starting to feel the, the, the absence of DiVincenzo. I mean, they're giving guys minutes. They just don't want to give minutes. The fact they have to play Jeff Teague, the fact, that, the fact they have to play Brent Forbes this much, Milwaukee's in a bad spot. They're in a bad spot right now, and they got to find a way to play better offense because, listen, the Nets are going to score, and Katie and Kyrie are going to make some shots you're going to shake your head at. But, I mean, you can't score 41 points in the first half of a game, any playoff game. It's just not, against a team that you're supposed to have good matchups against. I, I don't like the offense that they're running. I don't like when Giannis is acting as the ball handler, and then you just have Blake waiting in the middle. It's eerily similar to what they did with Bam last series, yet they're doing it to themselves. I mean, it's crazy. They, they got to get some more actions with Drew Holiday and Giannis running pick and rolls. That yielded some decent results. Chris Milton has to step up. I mean, no foul shots, 20, sh- 20 field goal attempts, seven makes. It's just not – it's not good right now, Phil. And it's it's disheartening if you're a Bucks fan because this is supposed to be the best team that you've had since Giannis joined. And, and there's not getting, much leeway for, for improvement at this point. There's not, and they're getting bludgeoned by a team without their second best player. Who, so, it's very disheartening if you're a Bucks fan. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, it's it's tough. Giannis, is, they're basically telling Giannis to do whatever you want. Yeah, and that's it. You need Chris Middleton. You have those. I think we talked about this earlier on, where maybe it was right before the playoffs started, where we said you're going to need those consistent scorings from either like your two man consistent mm-hmm. scoring either Drew Holiday or Chris Middleton. We saw it in the Heat series, and the Bucks were dominant. Mm-hmm. Chris Middleton, I don't think he scored under 20 each game. Um, and he was just, you know, he was what you needed in a second guy. Now now you come to this series, and you combine Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, and you have a pretty average second guy when you put them together offensively. It's just not yeah. what you want to see. It's not. It's not. And... Honestly, their best offense so far to me has been like Brooke Lopez in the post, which is just sad. Yeah. Brooke Lopez is playing a pretty it's, decent, pretty decent series getting, so far. He's gonna get his touches. Last night he was only minus fifteen, which is pretty solid compared to the rest of the team. I mean, Chris Middleton going minus thirty in thirty-four minutes. It's just rough, and you, you got to give the Nets some some credit, of course. I mean, they're moving the ball beautifully, getting a lot of guys step up. I gotta, you know, tip my cap to Blake Griffin. I did not think he'd be this productive defensively like they really need him you know he's and Giannis isn't playing well and it just kind of looks like the same old Giannis which is sad to see and plenty of time left in the series hopefully he can redeem it at home maybe catch two W's but he's winning that matchup from a defensive standpoint and then the Nets are just getting big time shot making I mean they made a ton of threes last night 21 42 you got Mike James stepping up and making plays he's being with confidence Landry Shaman hit three threes so Right now, it just looks like the Nets. The Nets are a team that look like they're having fun out there. They know what they're doing. They're moving the ball. Kevin Durant's playing with the best player in the world. 32 points on 18 shots. Looked easy. And the Bucks looked confused. They're searching for answers. And last night was a very, very bad showing. First game I could was, live with last was night not was not the answer you didn't want to see. Yeah, it was very bad. It's uh, It was very bad.
So. <laughs> All right. So, do you have any last quotes? The Nets Bucks as as, uh, as interesting as they may be. Um. I, listen, I'm. I, Based on those two games, I'd have a hard time seeing the Bucks winning the series, especially the manner that that second game happened. But we've we've counted series out before. You know these series are long, and we just saw the Clippers come down two zero after being down at home. Obviously, a little bit of a different situation because yeah. of the way the Bucks are playing. I think, but can never count a series out. So still plenty of time. The health of James Harden will be someone to monitor. But the fact that the Nets are doing this without James Harden just crazy. Yeah, it's it's really scary to watch because when they all come together, presumably for the next series or even the end of this one, who knows what will happen, what kind of yeah. bludgeoning that will be. Yes, yes. All right. Well, you, well, any last? Nothing, nothing. Uh, I think that will do that. You know, we'll come back probably when all these second-round series are over, maybe do a conference final preview. That will be fun. Um, but, yeah, for now, just check us out on Twitter at HoopScoopPod. We got an article up previewing the Bucks and the Nets series, although maybe some of that's a little outdated. But <laughs> new YouTube video just came out about the Pelicans. Check that out. Mm, good one. And uh, let's do a podcast on all platforms. Catch you guys next time. Peace. Peace.